you know, looking at this morning, let's uh, start. Let's start in Psalm fifty-six. I've I've spent my week trying in study of this, trying to um, think about what it would be like to be David. What what would it be like for uh, for someone who grew up a shepherd boy just out in the fields, watching sheep, not really thinking about you know thinking he thought a lot about God. I believe I believe he wrote a lot of the Psalms while he's sitting on the side of a hill just thinking about God, and um, then to have one day some a messenger come and say you got to come to the house and he come to the house. And the prophet Samuel is there. And he sees David and he anoints him Mashiach. He's been on the hills doing what shepherds do. And now all of a sudden he is the anointed Messiah of all of Israel. Think about how that would change your life. How that would affect your life. And then he... He's still a young boy, and he goes, and he go, uh, he, his, his brothers are fighting the Philistines down, down around Gath, and uh, he goes, and he sees the Goliath, this giant coming out and taunting. Have, have any of you ever seen um, a, I, I believe it's called a haikua? It's a Samoan ritual. I watched two soccer teams in the middle of a field. And that is the most, I guarantee that's what the the Philistines and the Israelites were doing to one another. And then Goliath comes out and he taunts them. And David couldn't take it. I'm the anointed Mashiach. And he goes and he kills Goliath. The power of God killing Goliath. And he goes from there to becoming Saul's right-hand man and Saul and John, and David and Jonathan become friends and it, it's just a it's a it's a a time when he can see the promise he can see the hope he can see the future and then all of a sudden somebody writes that country song Saul has killed thousands David has killed ten thousands and David finds himself running for his life. Now think about this. So David is running for his life and he goes, I, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Um, I, I, I've tried to put myself in that place. I, I remember having a feeling one time when I was in, when I was in Russia, in Moscow, and I was right, standing outside the Kremlin and I watched these milita- this military Troop, I guess uh, it was ten or twelve military guys. They were on the st- street corner, and they would come. These cars were just driving by, whizzing by, whizzing by, and all of a sudden, one of them would walk out in front of the in front of the cars, and he would go, "You pull it over right there," and they would pull it over, and they would pull those people out of their cars, and they would search every square inch. I don't know what they were looking for, uh, but I just thought, what would you do in that situation? And my answer was, you know, if something like that were ever to happen to me, at least I could call the U.S. Embassy. I would have an advocate because I'm an American. 
David has got nothing. He's got nothing. And so what does he do? He goes and goes to uh, Nob. He goes to the city of priests. He wants to inquire of God what is happening. And he's starving. His men are starving. And he says, give me some have you got any bread? Well, all we have is the showbread, and we really can't give you that. He goes, yeah, you can. I, you know, he didn't tell him I'm the Messiah, but yeah, you can. And so they worked it out, and um, it's interesting that um, it's interesting to me, anyway, that the only criteria that Abimelech put on David was, have, have your men had sex today? Where's that found a little bit? I haven't, I haven't found that one yet. So, Marcus, uh, you can't do that. Okay, anyway. But he gave him the bread, and then, and I also need some weapons. And he said, well, we don't have anything except Goliath's sword. And David says, that's good enough. Let's do that. And he goes from there to where? Anybody know? Gath. Gath. Does anybody know whose hometown Gath is? Goliath's! And he's got Goliath's sword. And he's seeking refuge in Gath. And Saul has slain thousands. David has slain tens of thousands. And who are those people that he slew? The Philistines! Think about how desperate you would have to be if that's what happened. So he goes from there and he goes and hides in a cave. Well, no, it's some, something mysterious happens just kind of like the Melchizedek incident. This guy Gad, this prophet Gad, all of a sudden shows up and he says, don't you hide out in these foreign lands. You go hide in your own land. So he goes and hides in the cave of Abdullah. And that's where we're going to be this morning as we begin. But I want to start by reading David's commentary on everything I just told you. Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? I have to stop right there. In God I trust. Uh, a friend of mine, a casual friend of mine, uh, Dr. Michael Easley, who I've been to Israel with twice, and who is a great expositor of Scripture, tremendous expositor of Scripture, says that the word trust here, this is the first time that concept appears in Scripture. Literally, Dr. Easley was talking about Psalm 37, and I don't know chronologically how that fits. But the concept of trust is being introduced by David. Now, there's faith and then there's trust. What is the difference between faith and trust? I believe in God. I believe that He's real. I believe, but I trust. I don't know. Think about that. The first time the concept in trust 
appears right here. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? All day long they twist my words. They're plotting to harm me. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my every steps. Eager to take my life. On no account let them escape. In your anger, O oh God, bring down the goyim. Literally, bring down the people who are not of Israel. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose words I praise, in the Lord who I praise, in God I trust. That's on our money. You think our founding fathers didn't understand this? I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I'm under the vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and read 57 because it also deals with where we're going next to the cave of Abdullah. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. For in, for in you my soul takes refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God, Elohim, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his hesed, his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, those around me whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They've dug a pit in my path. They have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let your glory be over all the earth. That reminds me so much of um, of what of what the apostle Paul did while he's in prison. How he can can write things that inspire, that sound like he doesn't even care about his own surrender. He's writing, praising God. I think a man after God's own heart. Somehow, that's part of what this what it means. Um, These are the people from Australia. <laughs> Tell us your name again. Kim and David McElroy. Kim and David McElroy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Now that I've thoroughly embarrassed you, we'll never forget. <laughs> so go to uh, chapter 21. <clears throat> Actually, that's that's not correct. But I did want to stop it at uh, 21 to pick a fight with John MacArthur, um, or pick a fight with my my wife hearing John MacArthur. Del made the I made I John MacArthur. Yeah, uh, yeah. You didn't when he was attacking Beth Moore. So there you go. Uh, <coughs> uh, 
John MacArthur, according to Dell, says that, that uh, Abimelech is Eli's great, great grandson. This happened 40 to 50 years after uh, Eli died. So if Eli had sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, and they had children, that would make those children somewhere in the 40 and 50 year old range. Do you think those children could have had children and have gotten them to the age of, you have to be 30 years old to be a prophet, 30 to 50 to be a prophet. I just can't work it out in my mind. So. Exactly. That's exactly what. Okay. Even great grandson. How is that possible? Is that possible? John MacArthur's wrong. <laughs> Dr. Constable is right. Okay. So <clears throat> we're at um, we're at chapter twenty-two. Then David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Abdullah. The cave of Abdullah is five miles south of the valley of Elah, which is where David slew Goliath. He's staying down there. In, it, it's it, it's the, the uh, Jeff said and it correctly. The Philistines were, were a sea people and they stayed down in the, in the plains. When you get to the cave of Abdullah, you're getting into the foothills, getting ready to go into the mountains getting ready to go in the mountains. So that, that's where um, this is. When his brothers and his father's household heard, heard that he was down there, they went down there to be, to be with him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. There were about 400 of these such misfits. They're just, that's who he is. He doesn't have an army. He's got misfits. Think about this, and I, I thought about this also. David's family, Saul's try, actively trying to kill David. Do you think there's a threat on David's family? I think there's potentially a, a threat against his whole family. And so they went where he could, they could get the only protection that, that they knew. They left their home and they went there. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, once again, Moab, arch enemy of Israel. Uh, why would he turn to Moab? It's because he's looking for anything he can grasp onto, and he's got one ace in his sleeve. Anybody know what that is? David is the great-grandson of Ruth. Ruth, the Moabites. So the king would know that. Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God is going to do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. Now then, if you've ever been, if you've ever been to Israel, the, the Jordan River runs the, the length of Israel. And on the west, on the eastern side, on the eastern side, that's Moab. Today, that's Jordan. Okay, that's Moab. And the where David is, he's in the Shephelah, in the hills, hills of uh, of Israel, up from the Dead Sea, where the Dead Sea is 700 feet below sea level, and then it starts rising goes all the way up to Jerusalem is 3,000 feet higher 
than the, de than the Dead Sea. And it starts going up into these hills. So when they're over in Moab, <coughs> um, he's just trying to find a place that he can keep his family. There are strongholds. People say that this, this particular, when it says singular stronghold, it's referring, referring to Masada. Masada, does anybody know what Masada is? It's 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 a flipping mountain, and it's just it's like you come out of the Dead Sea and you go straight impenetrable, no way you can climb up. And on the backside, pretty much the same thing. Masada is the last stronghold of the Israelites in seventy. That's where they killed the, or that's where the last seventy, the last group of people committed suicide. Um, but Masada is a stronghold. But there are other strongholds around there. There are places, these, these hills and valleys, they're straight up. So that when David's on one side and Saul's on the other side, you, can't, you can see them, but you can't get there. It just can't be done. It's just too steep. It's too. I was watching a, a, a documentary on goats. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been a long Thanksgiving. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'd rather work than do this. Um, so, in, so I was watching a thing on goats, and these goats are just—they can walk <coughs> anything. All that's just incredible. And thinking about uh, this, thinking about Masada, and thinking about Engedi, which is where David's going to end up today. Engedi, the spring of the wild goats, because it's so steep. And the goats are up on this hill. And that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. You, go, you look up on these hills, and, and 150, 200 feet off the ground, somebody has made a cave, has hung from a rope off the top, right, Dave? They've hung from a rope, and they've taken a chisel and gone bang, 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 for making these caves. And there are those caves all around. And that, those are the strongholds. That's the kind of thing that David was holed up in, uh, where he, you can't get to him. There's no way. Now Saul heard, uh, okay, but the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Go to the land of Judah. So David left, and he went to the forest of Hereth. Now, I don't know how many forests you've ever been to, but... To me, forests are not that dangerous. But these forests are so hilly and so rocky and so craggy that they're dangerous. Look at 2 Samuel. Look at 2 Samuel uh, 18. If I'm right. Yes. Yes. 2 Samuel 18, verse 8. This is the same thing, describing the forest of Hereth. The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest claimed more lives that day than did the sword. It was dangerous to be in this forest. Reminds me of Sherwood Forest or something like that, but it's just a dangerous place to be. <clears throat> Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul, with his spear in hand, did he ever put his spear down? Did you reckon he put his spear down to eat? 
He had his spear in his hand constantly. Was seated under the Tamarisk tree in the hill of Gibeah, which is his hometown. With all his officials standing around him, Saul said to them, Listen to me, men of Benjamin. Will the son of Jesse give you all the fields and vineyards that I've given you? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. Saul is absolutely losing. He's going mentally insane. He accuses everybody, the men that are with him. He accuses David of lying in wait. David's trying to escape. Uh, and then Doeg, the Edomite, who was there with Abimelech at the at the Nobdil, um, is they, is Saul's chief shepherd. Somebody tell me about Edomites. Does anybody know anything about Edomites? Where do Edomites come from? Huh? Edomia. I'm sorry. Esau. Thank you. Esau and Jacob, Esau and Jacob, the twins. Uh, Esau did what to his birthright? He despised it. Literally, that means he hated God. Today, Esau is not even considered Jewish because he fled to Idumea which is south down in the Negev near Egypt. He fled to Edomea and had his own people. And they became the Edomites. Um, and so Doeg is a son of all that and he's Saul's chief shepherd. And so Doeg, Doeg the Edomite who was standing with Saul's official said, well, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub at Nob. And Ahimelech acquired the Lord for him. And he also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And immediately Saul is enraged. Here's the priests, the Levitical priests, whom we take care of, and he thinks they're plotting against him. Um, so the king sent for the priests, Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and his father's whole family and the priests who were priests at Nob and they all came to the king and Saul said listen now son of Ahitub yes my lord Saul said why have you conspired against me you and your son Jesse giving him bread and a sword inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me today and he lies in wait for me as he does Ahimelech answered the king who of all your servants is as loyal as David the king's son-in-law, the captain of your bodyguard, highly respected in your household. Was that the first time that he had ever inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. And the king says, You will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. And the king ordered the guards, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand and strike the priests of the Lord. So the king ordered Doeg, well then you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite 
the, the, the scripture is so pointed at telling us who did it. It's that Edomite guy. Turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put the sword, then he went to Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, its women, its children, its cattle, its donkeys, its sheep. He did a thorough job. He did exactly what Saul was supposed to do to the Amalekites. And he did not do it. I was thinking about thinking about this. Um, I don't know how many of you are, are familiar with, with what happened in Russia after Marx said religion is the opioid of the people. In 1919, the Russian the Revolution, Stalin gathered up and killed 324. Is Ruslan still here? Yes. Okay. I was hoping he would be here today he might chime in on this. But killed 324 of the top priests in Russia. You can go to Russia today and you can be riding, you know, we, we were on a bus, and you can be riding through in every hamlet, every village, every place you come to, all you see are those funky churches that have the onion heads, you know, at the, at the top. And they all have a rooster on top. I never understood that. But a rooster weather day. But uh, there's churches everywhere, is my point. There are churches everywhere. It, between 1919 and the beginning of World War II, Stalin killed 106,000 people who claimed any religion. That's out of the 12 to 20 million others that he So he turns and he has the men who are wearing the linen white ephod. He butchers them. And then he goes and he butchers their family. Josephus tells us that he killed he killed 320 something people that day. That's amazing. That's amazing. All because one man has gone insane. Um where am I? Hey Randall, do you think he actually went clinically insane or was it just more his um, his greed, his hunger for power sort of drove him to paranoia? I would hope that someone who was anointed of God would have to be clinically insane. That's my hope. My hope is that it wasn't a rational you know, stop, back to Stalin's story. So Stalin was clinical. Stalin would have his, his, but he knew that everybody needed to fear him. So he would invite people to come eat dinner with him every night. They would have these great lavish banquets. And he would serve it. He would get everybody drunk. He would make sure everybody was just incredibly drunk. And then at the end of the night, he'd pick two of them. He'd take them outside and kill them. That's clinical insanity. I think, you know, 
people want to make a lot about a lot of, out about it saying that God caused an evil spirit to enter Saul. I think God left Saul. And when when you have no God, when you have no hope of God, anything can anything can come up. That's how I justify it. I, I have no idea. So anger management classes were I don't think I don't think they had anger management classes at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all seek our own way of solving those things. That's true. Whatever we have personal however. Yeah. Well, we and one, and his pursuit of, of self-glory could have been contributing to his mental health demise. So, you know, at one point in hand, it begins to influence the direction that's different from maybe where his heart was initially as far as things. I think also, you know, that's why he was so mad at Jonathan. That's why he tried to kill Jonathan, and now Jonathan's lying in wait trying to kill him. It's because he saw... You know, we all see the future in our children. He said, I want him to have a king. He could be the king for everybody. And he's throwing it all away because of God. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there had to be a level of insanity there. Um, but Abathar, the son of Ahimelech. Now this is a great, great grandson. Okay. Uh, son of Atub escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, and David said to Abathar, That day when Doag the Edomite was there, I knew that he would be sure to tell Saul, I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me, don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe. Turn with me to Psalm 2 just a second. I want to show you something else that just this this blows me away. Um, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord, against His Mashiach. Let us break the chains and say, let's throw off the feathers. One enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath. I've installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. You are my son. Today I've become your father. I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You rule them with an iron scepter. You dash them to pieces with pottery. In other words, you can't kill the Lord's Messiah. I think David has a comfort. He has a trust that he is who God says he is. And he's okay. He's seen it too many times with the lion and the bear as a young boy. With Goliath, he's not afraid. Have any of you read tales of George Washington? When George Washington was a, like a captain in the Revolutionary War when he was 27 years old. And he would ride into battle and he would lead his men into battle. And he would come out and there would be like bullet holes in his hat, in his jacket. But Washington was never scathed because he believed in his purpose. He believed in what he was doing. 
that's how he gained the popularity of, of his men. <clears throat> Let's go to 23. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, they're looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? The Lord answered, Go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said, Here we are in Judah, afraid. And how much more than you want us to go to Keilah and attack the Philistine forces? Are you out of your mind? Once again, David inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give you the Philistines in your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah. They fought the Philistines, and they carried off their livestock. He inflicted such heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Now Abathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought down the ephod with him as he fled David to Keilah. What's an ephod? You might know. Isn't it the covering the metal? It's an apron. It's an apron. And it has, it has the 12 stones symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And it also has the umen and the thumen. What are the umen and the thumen for? Now, I don't know how any of this works. And you can Google it and spend a year reading. And nobody knows. So I'm going to tell you what I think. The umen and the thumen are large gems. Large gems. And I don't know how it all works, but if you stand in the sunlight and one of the gems starts glowing, catches, catches the right light, that gives you an answer. If, if, explain the umen and the thumbin. <laughs> Do it in Hebrew, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Andy knows all these, all the answers. Uh, um, but the, but somehow you would look at that and you would see the answer. And so David used this Abathar. He said, "I mean, think about they're killing everybody around you." And Abathar, think about. I wonder if, if Ahimelech said to uh, Abathar, take this, take the ephod, go to David. You have to save this. This is very important. And David inquires and uses this thing multiple, multiple times. I just think that's fabulous. <clears throat> um, so he goes down and he, gets, and he gets their cattle. The Philistines didn't come up here and have cattle. They were, the Philistines were doing what to the people of Keilah? They were raiding their threshing floors. You go out and you thresh wheat and your, your coffers are full of wheat. The Philistines were coming up and they were bringing their oxen and their horses to carry their carts back full of wheat and grain from the defenseless people of Keilah. That's what they were doing. So when David comes and wipes them out, he takes their livestock as well. I don't know what he did with it. They're hiding out in a forest. Um, when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abathar, Abathar the priest, bring the ephod. David said, oh Lord God, your servant has definitely heard the plans that Saul's coming to Keilah to destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh Lord God of Israel, tell me. And the Lord said, He will. I don't know if that's by that light 
on the Uman and Thummim, and I have no idea. So David and his men, now about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. And Saul was told that David escaped Keilah. He did not go there. And David stayed in the desert strongholds, and now he's moved to the desert of Ziph, which is about five miles uh, further south. He's in the desert now, not in the, not in the uh, uh, forest. But God did not give David into his hands. When David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David in Horish and helped him find strength in God. So it must have not been that hard to find, because Jonathan found him. Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made another covenant before the Lord. And Jonathan went home, and David remained in Horish. This is the last time that David and Jonathan ever see each other. And the Ziphites went up to Saul and Gibeah. Is not David hiding in the strongholds in the hill of Halaki, the son of Jeshimon? Now, O king, come down and whatever pleases you to do, we'll be responsible for handing him over to you. And Saul replied, The Lord bless you and your concern for me. Go and make further preparation. Find out where David is and where he goes and who's seen him. Tell me, he's very crafty. Find out all the hiding places he uses. Come back with definite information and I'll go with you. He's in the area. I'll track him down to the clans of Judah. Literally, this whole uh, this whole section becomes monotonous because it's just Saul after David, David fleeing from Saul, David trying just to get a, just leave me alone, get away, just continue to go mad. Whatever happens, um, when I'm thinking about this, and you know, this is a this section, these stories are so, they can get monotonous, but they're really rich. They're really rich stories, and these are stories that we need in our vocabulary. You know, later on when we get to, we're, we're following Israel's history, and it's going to make what Jesus did so much deeper. Even Jesus refers back to these stories. He loves these stories. These stories were told, they're taught in rabbinical school. Everybody knows them. So we have to go through them and learn. Um, as we get on into 2 Samuel, we're going to end in, in chapter 24 of 2 Samuel when David, well literally, when God picks where his temple is going to be. And we get to see that, that whole part. I, I'll guarantee you the next time I go to Israel, I will be a lot more knowledgeable about what I'm looking at when I'm when I'm there looking at it. I can already spend hours on the hill of Nob looking at this, looking at uh, Jerusalem because there's so much that I can see there that I know that I, the stories that I have in my mind. You know, um, I tell people all the time that one of my one of my goals in life is to study enough and be knowledgeable enough and be able to talk enough. That I could duplicate what what uh, uh, Acts seven Stephen what Stephen did at his death, where he raised the whole panoply, the whole scope of biblical history. Yes, I just want to tell the class: if you ever go to Israel with Randall, 
and he's standing on top of a hill, you want to go up and stand beside him because you will get an education. You will learn a lot about what happened around you on the ground. It's amazing Thank you. how much you already know. <coughs> Thank you. But there's so much more to know. I, I'm reminded of when we were at, uh, at uh, the Sea of, uh, when we were at the Gal sea of Galilee at the Primus of Peter, uh, where Jesus reinstates Peter in John 21. And I'm walking back to the bus, walking by myself, and there's this little Filipino, uh, a bunch, that's one of the beautiful things in Israel is there are all these tour groups from other countries. And you, you've never lived until you watch some Indians get baptized. That's just incredible. Um, they, they knock it out of and, and, uh, uh, but I was walking back to the, walking back to the bus and this little Filipino guy is doing a devotional and they're all about this tall okay and I'm walking by and he's explaining that Saul is head and shoulders taller than everybody else and redheaded and, and he just looks up and he goes it's just like that guy <laughs> Probably not, but my, my, I've always said that what I want to be able to do is to be able to do that. If somebody is going to kill you for the cause of Christ, if, if a modern-day Stalin comes and you defend your life, what will you say? I was a pretty good guy. Coached Little League Baseball. No, Stephen was able to just convict them, convict every man there, so much so that everybody picked up a rock and stumbled. Live your life in such a way that everybody will want to stumble. The moral of the story. Peter did the same. You don't think that's the right moral? <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, we're done for today. Jeff's going to pick it up to 24. We're going to continue to go. And, you know, here's the challenge between Jeff and I, is that uh, we, we've kind of agreed to try to do two chapters a, a day. And the, if you can't see enough to talk about, you can go on and do three. And, four. and so, so far, I've made it through two and two, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you.